stuff sometimes makes sense when you didn't know why. So now it kind of comes into play. Kind of like an aspect of what I'm sharing today ties into um, <coughs> Zoe's situation. Maybe a different angle, but to a certain extent. Um, so we've got this going, right, Trey? Praise the Lord. All right. I know I've been on a series, but the Lord had me uh, yesterday after an experience that I had uh, later that day. I was kind of minding my business and actually doing some menial labor, um, mowing the grass. And the Lord reminded me of what had happened earlier. And then he started showing me certain principles based upon how I viewed the situation that he suddenly caused to manifest. So um, I'll read the text scripture. Uh, and then I'll explain the situation, and then I'm going to share some of the principles that God gave me. Amen? Uh, if I had a title, I'll call it Stand Fast in Your Liberty. Amen? Stand Fast in Your Liberty. And our text scripture, I'm not going to put up on the thing today because I actually wrote this last night. <laughs> um, but Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the glory, honor, and praise for everything you're doing in our lives. And right now, Father, we thank you, Lord, that, hallelujah, by your sacrifice, by your grace, your love, your mercy, your plan of redemption, you have loosed us from the shackles of bondage. You have freed us from being dominated by the wages of sin. You've given us liberty of mind, body, and spirit, peace that surpasses all understanding, wisdom beyond the ages, uh, grace beyond measure, and liberty, Lord. We just praise and thank you, Father, that these things would be cemented into our minds, our bodies, and spirit, Lord, that we would not allow ourselves to be yoked in bondage, ensnared by the enemy, fearful of what he could do to us and his devices, set up where we would fall under his devices. But Lord, we will continue to stand in the liberty that you foretold for us. And we just give you the, the grace, we give you the thanks, the honor, the glory for the dominion and grace you extend unto us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Stand fast in your liberty. So yesterday morning, uh, after I was awakened, Kyle came to me, and he said that as he walked by the bay windows, he thought he heard something. And he said it sounded like the fluttering of birds' wings. So as expected, we're thinking something must have gone through the cap of the pipe, going through our roof. Um, the pipe for our wood-burning stove has a cap, and I don't know whether there was some kind of breach in there. It got moved by the wind or something like that, but apparently... A bird got in there. It's not the first time it happened. I've had one down there before, um, probably three or four since the time that uh, we've had it. In one case, unfortunately, uh, that bird met its doom the next time there was a, a fire, and it's like, it's like kind of like up in the pipe, not all the way down. I didn't realize it. So next thing you know, I hear a drop, probably from smoke inhalation, and that bird, unfortunately, met his fiery doom. But in a couple other cases, I was able to grab the bird and, you know, get it out to freedom. You know, one time I grabbed the bird and, 
it was nervous. I took it outside. I stroked its head for a while to calm it down and then open up my hand and it was there for a minute and then it flew off. Now yesterday, uh, once again, as I said, this happened and I was like, well, I don't want to get loose and fly around the house, but I don't want to leave it in here. So let me figure out a way where I can safely trap it and get it out here to freedom. So I got a blanket. I kind of covered it up. I put on some gloves. Took me a couple attempts, but I finally grabbed it, let out this squeak, the screech like the claws of death had hit it. But then I carried it outside, opened my hand, and once again, it flew off. So like I said, later that day, I wasn't really paying much attention to this thing. It was like a trivial thing, a small bird. I grabbed it, took it outside, let it go. And quite frankly, I let it go. <laughs> But then I'm mowing the grass, and all of a sudden, the Lord brings that back to my spirit. And he showed me the way in which I had looked down upon this bird and gone through the process of setting it free. And he said, there's a lot of things connected to how you view that bird and how I view my servants. Amen. As we look at our text scripture, it says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. That phrase, stand fast, means to be on the alert, be attentive, be watchful. Don't be passive or clueless, walking around blind, unaware, but instead be not fearful of what the enemy will do to entrap you, but also being alert that we're in a world system that at all times wants to throw its snares, its daggers, its attachments, and it wants to put us in a prison from which we cannot be released. We have to be careful about that. Once again, careful, not fearful, but be aware that the liberty that we've now gained in Jesus Christ, the enemy wants to take that away. Because what good is a Christian that's walking in bondage in terms of helping another person that's in bondage trying to be free. So God wants us to stand fast in our liberty the same way that a bird will be liberated. And as I was thinking about a bird, one of the things that really came to mind is like, what an exceptional life they live, amen? Just imagine that the whole planet to a certain extent is available to you. You have a whole world in front of you. As a bird, I know that there's different climates and different regions of the planet that they live in. But especially as the world has gotten warmer, you find that certain types of, of birds are in areas that they were never in before. And you, even the, 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 the patterns of the migrations have changed over time. And you could even take an exotic bird that should be over in the Congo or, or over in, Af you know, in Africa, which is Congo, that's part of it, or Argentina, Venezuela. You can transplant that bird and it can live quite well. But just to live a life in which one day you could be on the ground or you could be in a tree and you could literally just rise up and soar and go everywhere you want to go. It's like the whole planet is my oyster. I could just travel. And then to be in that type of situation as a natural aspect of your life to now being trapped in this wood-burning stove, unable to get the proper angle to go up that pipe and elevate yourself back to safety is really a tragic thing. But isn't it true that some of us have been given the capability to soar in God and yet we've also been boxed in? 
whether it's via world systems, devices, our own natural tendencies, our laziness, our limited mindsets, isn't it quite possible that God has called many of us to soar and yet we just stay in one location? That's a sad thing. God tells us, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. You've got to fight sometimes to stay liberated. People will say stuff. People will do things. The world system, through various stimuli or messages that it sends you all the time, will try to put you in a box and limit you, or it will try to put you in a form of, of bondage. All bondage isn't necessarily due to sin. Some bondage is based upon the fact that an attachment, an encumbrance, a hindrance, a weight is placed upon you that tells you, I'm stuck here. So God tells us to stand fast, fight, to remain liberated in the liberty that I've provided you. Now he also tells us here at the end, first of all, he tells us to fight, to stand in our liberty, and then he puts a contraction there, and, and what? And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That phrase, entangled again with, means to be caught up in an oscillatory or a repeated pattern of ensnarement, grudges, hindrances, grievances, and other weights that will hold you again. Once again, an oscillatory. If you've ever seen an oscillator, I guess the closest thing some of us might think about is, uh, I remember I had a science class one time and we had to do certain things with resistors and capacitors and we would hook up this, you know, devices on there and you would see the waveform, you know, waving around or you would see a scope and you would see these different waves and frequencies. You know, sometimes you go into the hospital and somebody's on a machine that's measuring their vital signs and you'll see these waveforms going up and down, showing the cycles. And a lot of times with the cycles, they go up and down. And even though it may not reach the same point of elevation or decline, there's kind of like a pattern of it going up and down. There's an expectation of that. Is there an oscillating pattern, though, in terms of our liberty in Christ? One day I'm free in Christ, free indeed, and the next Oh, he's got me weighed down with the devices of this world system. The next day, I'm joyous in Christ. And the next day, oh, I just feel so limited and weighed down with the fears and with the dread and with the problems that are weighing me down. Do we live in an oscillating journey in Jesus Christ? Up and down, up and down the roller coaster. Or do we have more stability in terms of the liberty and the freedom that God has given us. He tells us, don't be caught up in a repeated cycle of what? Of being encumbered by the yoke of bondage. And I was looking at that, that phrase, the yoke of bondage. The underlying Greek phrase for the word yoke is a coupling, an obligation. Best way to describe a coupling is uh, we just go to Patco Speed Line or to um, Ant was it Amtrak. You'll see different cars, but with the, the main tr train, the cabin up front, the engine, whatever it may be, up front, it can go off by itself and it can't pull anything until you attach the couplings between two cars. Amen. And you make that attachment; those things lock in like this and then it's able to pull that, and then you want to pull something else. You link that in with the coupling, and, and now they're all obligated to go wherever 
the engine takes them. And not only that, not only do they go where the engine takes them, but they move at the pace of the engine. When the engine says it's time to go, they got to go whether they like it or not. When the engine says we're going to go at this speed and we're going to go down this path, you know, one day it could be going to Philly, it could be going to AC, it could be going out to Detroit. Wherever that engine says we're going, everybody, every train coupled to it, it has to go at its speed, at its pace. It has to stay at a pit stop along the way as long as it says, and it gets to where it's taking it. It has no choice of where it's going because it's coupled. It's obligated to go wherever I'm pulled. God tells us not to be coupled with a yoke of bondage. Sometimes that comes through a couple. <laughs> couple with the wrong people. It might be your, your, your wife or your husband. It might be the person you're dating. It might be your circle of friends. Sometimes you're coupled with the wrong people and you find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time because you didn't break that coupling. Amen? So God tells us not to be coupled, obligated with, attached with, entangled with, intertwined with, twisted with something that we're not called to be entangled with. Otherwise, even if we're doing the right thing, we might still get pulled along into the yoke of bondage. We have to stand fast. Now, one of the first things I saw as I was looking at the situation with the bird, <laughs> I'm just imagining the bird and he lands on the roof, or she, looking for a good place to nest, maybe mate, have little, little birdlings, little chicks, looking for a nice, safe, comfortable spot to live. And all of a sudden, this bird sees this pipe coming off the roof of my house and says, wow, I don't have to worry about a hawk swooping down to kill me. I don't have to fight with another species of bird, an owl, a hawk. Man, that pipe looks like the perfect nesting spot. So it goes in there. And the next you know, the place that looks like a great opportunity, a great place to habitate, it falls down that pipe, and now it's stuck in a, in, in a wood burning stove inside the house, inside a place that it didn't even realize was connected when it went through the pipe at the top. Somehow it found that the place of habitation that I thought was so perfect to, to, to make a nest and have my offspring, it found out that that perfect place was a pit that pulled it down, and now I'm stuck in this rectangular area from which I can't get out. Sometimes we venture into opportunities that look perfect, looks like the perfect place of business, the perfect place of education, the perfect place of promotion, friendships, networking, monetary gain, materialism, even relational benefits. It looks all good on the, in, on the outside, but when I venture in, I realize there's nothing but a trap. <laughs> we got to be careful about that. And we got to know that we have to trust God in those situations as opposed to looking at our own reasoning, our own observational gifting, and our own understanding. We need to learn to trust God that before we venture in, we ask God, is this the right place for me? Is this the perfect opportunity? Is that open door that looks to be so alluring, so presentable, is that a place that I should even venture into? Or is there a hidden danger, a hidden trap from which I had to fight to escape? 
One of the things we have to realize is that it's often easy to venture into what looks like a perfect opportunity. You ever notice that? Something that's outside the will of God is so easy for you to venture into. Whether it's a relationship with people, something related to sin, it is so easy to navigate into there. And then you get in, and it seemed like as you were going down that highway, that path, that journey, that connection, or whatever it is, to get yourself into a place from which you shouldn't go, it seems like, man, it's like the Golden Gate Bridge as you're going in. Woo! Six, eight lanes? Wow, nothing stopping me. I just go right on in. And then you get in there, all of a sudden, that six-lane highway is like one lane, and it's got construction. <laughs> Why can't I get out of this mess I got myself into? You ever notice that? It is so easy. Whether it's sin or something outside the will of God, it is so easy to get in. But boy, does the enemy know how to shut the door, throw on the chains and the handcuffs, close the cage once he gets you into the place that you never should have gone into in the first place. It is so hard to break the ties, to break the prison doors, to cut the chains off and get out once you get in. And that's why it's important for us to not trust on our own understanding, but instead look to God and say, is this the right thing for me? It says the right things. It looks the right way. It looks very alluring. It looks presentable. It might even say the things of God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. And it might be a snare of the enemy. Amen. It might be a snare of the enemy. Ecclesiastes 8, 16 and 17. It says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night see of sleep with his eyes, then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, Yet he shall not find it. Yea, further, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. Think about that. Ecclesiastes, written by one of the wisest men of all time. And here he's saying is that I didn't venture into various things lightly. I didn't just, you know, on a whim pursue this or that. He says, I applied my heart to know wisdom. I studied things. I researched things. I analyzed situations and relationships to understand the business that's done upon the earth. And that business means employment, affairs, or endeavors. He said, I applied my heart. I really dug in to understand the affairs of men and the opportunities and the endeavors that were opened up before me. And he says, even though he applied himself to know these things and to look at them with a spirit of wisdom so that he wouldn't make mistakes, he says, even though I labored to figure things out, I couldn't, I couldn't find what was going on. And then he goes further, he says, even if the wise man thinks to know it, yet he shall not be able to, to find out. So even the wisest man outside of the, the wisdom, the inspiration, and the discernment that God himself can provide us, no matter how far you dig in, you can Google search it, you can go to the Library of Congress, you can play Dick Tracy, you can do whatever you want. 
But if you don't allow God to speak to you, to let you see things behind the scenes, the greatest of things, even though you might have scrutinized it with a fine-tooth comb, if God didn't tell you that that's the right thing for you, the reality is no matter how much you try to preserve yourself from going into a trap, that's exactly what you can enter into without the inspiration of God. And that's why it's so important for us. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by something just because it looks smells, tastes, or sounds like the right thing. You got to ask God. And I truly believe that we ask God a lot of times some of those things that we venture into that seem to be pro so presentable that are actually snares, sometimes he will enable us to avoid them. And even in the times where we do venture in, if we've done everything we ought to do in terms of seeking God first, we'll find that even though we may have entered in, he allowed us to go in because he wanted his glory to be manifested from that circumstance or to certain things he wants to teach us or hone in us so that coming out the other side of those traps, we were greater and more improved than we ever were before. Now, one of the traps that we can enter in sometimes is with our mouths, amen, <laughs> and the way we think. Ecclesiastes 5 Verses 2 through 7 says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business. Here we go, business again. And a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. See, you could be a fool, but people may not know if you keep your mouth shut. You keep talking, though. The more you talk, the more you reveal that there ain't nothing underneath the hood. <laughs> and here's one that I think a lot of Christians violate, but they don't even realize it, and they may be paying the price, and they think it's the devil, and it's not. It's them writing a check with their mouth spiritually that they did not they weren't willing to cash and they might be losing out on opportunities because they put something out there and they didn't do their part. Verse four, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was in there. Wherefore, should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. See, sometimes people are a little loose with their lips and they make promises that they don't keep. I'll be there for you, man. When you move, you don't show up. Loan me this and I'll pay you back. You don't pay him back. And see, you might be able to get away with it in terms of doing that to people. Well, I'll just duck them and dodge them and I won't pay them back. And maybe after a certain amount of time, they forget that I owe them money. You might get away with that with, with men. But God says here, you make a vow to me and you don't pay it. Later on, you might be paying the price of that. 
in terms of entering into bondage, being hindered in various things, going through multiple trials or tribulations as a result of you saying something and you're not backing up what you promised. And I've seen that happen before. Oh, if God gives me this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be more committed to church and Bible study. And I'm going to give, you know, this amount and offering under the church. And then God opens up the door for you to get that opportunity and you forget all about God. And then your business falls apart. Oh, God, why this happen? Because you didn't do what you said you're supposed to do. God takes that serious. Amen? And as people of God and people that know that life and death is in the tongue, we should not just be speaking things loudly. And it's bad enough you allow the people and, and ruin your reputation with them. It's another thing you think you have the audacity to make a promise to God and you don't keep it. Amen? And see, here's the thing. God might let you go one time. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll cut him some slack. Do you make another vow to God? You're like, oh, okay. You think you can just treat me like everybody else, just lie to my face? And do you keep lying to God and promise this and that? And now nah, I'm going to change you, do this. Or God, I'm going to offer this. Or God, I'm going to serve this group of people. If you allow this to happen in my life and you don't do it, there could come the day of judgment where God says, you're going to pay back what you vowed. Amen. Amen. And if you don't, like I said, Every door that you try to enter in, you might find trials and tribulations, difficulties that you should not have suffered, losses where you should have succeeded and prospered because you vow something to God and God will not take your word lightly. Amen. And see, he loves you enough to discipline you. So God will do that. This is not an angry God coming after you, judging you, and breaking things down and tearing things apart. No, God said, what I'm going to do is pull back my blessings. I'm going to pull back my sanctioning, my anointing, and some of the attacks of the enemy that I might have blocked off, I'm going to sit here like this. Because you will stop running your mouth, putting my name on it, vowing to do this and that, and then you don't back it up by a faithful completion of what you promised me that you're going to do especially when it comes to the things of God so sometimes we venture into situations where we're trapped because we haven't sought God the right way and we're blinded and sometimes we're so caught up in the the bright lights of the opportunity whether it's a personal relationship or, or, or a job or something else. Sometimes we're caught up to that and we're blinded to the truth of what God has for us. But in other cases, we know full well what we're doing. We make promises to God. We don't keep them. And then we wonder, like, man, why is my bank account always empty? Why is my car always breaking down? Because you robbed God. Because you lied to God. Because you reneged on your promises to God. And God takes that seriously. And we can repent. And God will cut us a break sometime. But if you have a repeated prob um, problem with lying and reneging on your promises and vows to God, at a certain point, God said, I'm going to stop, you know, patting you on the wrist. I'm going to stop turning my head the other way. You've got to learn a lesson. So for your own good, I'm going to allow you to suffer the consequences of making a vow to me that you do not keep. I'm going to allow the enemy to sift you as wheat. And see, the thing is, God can handle when you slight him. But what are you doing in terms of your reputation and the represent representation of God that you're providing people when you sully the name of God, being associated with him and not keeping your promises before people? Amen? God will deal with that. Um, next one we'll look at is Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, O foolish Galatians! Who hath bewitched you 
that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? <laughs> it's crazy. As, as believers of God who are supposed to be led by the spirit of God and the word of God, he still gives us a warning that we could be bewitched. Amen. Think about that. You could be seduced, bewitched, blinded, and deluded by things that are out here in the world system. Sometimes you could be deluded by your own self. Amen. You could tell yourself so, you would desire something so much that it actually gets you over to a reprobate mindset. That wisdom, common sense itself can no longer speak to you and curb your behavior or turn you and put you on the right path. You could desire and, and hunger after something so much that you totally ignore the principles of God. You ignore what you should be doing. It actually becomes a form of idolatry where you're so given over and pulled by your desire for something that you pursue or, and pursue it until finally God says, all right, I'm going to let them have the desires of their heart. Let them have it. I was literally praying the other day about a situation and, you know, ministering on and off in regard to this. And at one point, the, the Lord finally showed me, he said, the person is going to keep pursuing what they want. So let them have it. Because I was really kind of taking a stance like, trying to direct and give the word and pray and guide a person in a certain direction. And he finally just showed me, he said, the person is going to just keep going and they're going to go and they're going to go till they get what they believe they need. So to me, it was like he was telling me, like, back off, let them have it. And then they're going to have to reap the consequences of that desire, that hunger, which, you know, here's the thing. The desire could be fulfilled by God but it's after doing it with the right mindset. Amen. And because the hunger is greater than submission to God and allowing God to mold and refine and work through the situation, God's basically just like, you know what? I'm going to let them have what they want, desires of their heart. And they're going to see their desires for what it is. So we can self-deceive. We can self-delude. Sometimes the enemy does stuff to delude us. Sometimes the presentation of, of people and opportunities can deceive us with all the trappings of how it presents itself. But then there's also times where we are deceiving ourselves and entering into things. And as we see here, God says, you know, the, the eyes of Christ give you the capacity to discern and see the trap for what it is. But if you set your heart to only the works of the flesh or the desires of the flesh, then you receive, receive the results of the flesh. And that's what you have to be careful of. Amen? That you're willing to yield everything over to God. Next point I had is that at one point, I, I looked in on the bird before I grabbed it. And you would think there'd be a lot of agitation. Like, I'm trying to get out. I'm trying to fly. I'm trying to get the freedom. 
But I actually looked down in there, and after, actually, actually took the, um, I forget what you call things, like a poker. And I kind of lifted the lid, and I kind of tapped a little bit before to confirm that something live was in there. And I opened it up, and I opened it up a little further, not enough for it to get out. But as I was observing, I said, you know what? Despite the fact that this bird is trapped, it's actually quite peaceful. Just kind of sitting there, chilling. And one of the things that really showed me is that sometimes the place of rest that you're in is actually your death trap. And you don't even know it. Because the reality is the bird was sitting there calm, cool, collected. It wasn't fluttering around. It wasn't like hitting the opposite ends, trying to get out. It was just sitting there. And I made a noise and it went to another part. Then it sat there. And then... I made the first attempt to, to, to grab it, and I missed, and it made a little noise. It went to the other side, and then it sat there. And I was like, outside of me maybe agitating, trying to reach in, when I left it alone and said, okay, let me try this from another angle. Let me make another attempt. In the times that were in, in between, the bird was sitting there, and you could see it really wasn't agitated. It was just kind of like, well, just biding my time. And it's like, if I choose to walk away, and not intervene in this situation, this bird would be quite comfortable. But the problem is, in its comfort, at some point it's going to run out of water, it's not going to have food, and it's going to get a place of rest that it's going to go from rest to malnutrition, dehydration, to eventual death. So the place that, that appeared to be a place of rest is actually a place where death itself is going to manifest without the intervention that I will provide. And as I was thinking about that, the Lord showed me, he said, like, is that there, there's times where the saints of God are the same way. They don't realize they're surrounded by danger and decay and death. They don't grasp the fact that they're in a place where things are going to decline and erode away. And if anything, they need to fight to get out of their current circumstances, to get to the freedom that I have bestowed or made available for them. They're so comfortable in this place that they're literally going to die there if I don't do something to intervene to take them out of that place. Amen? <laughs> Funny how we get comfortable in the middle of the desert, comfortable in a cage, comfortable in a place of death. Sometimes because of laziness, sometimes because of ignorance, sometimes because of fear that I've been trapped so long that I don't know if I can escape. I don't know if I had the strength to escape. See, I've banged against the wall so many times. I've hit the ceiling so many times that I don't even believe I can escape, so I'm just going to just bide my time until the end comes. But God has not called for us to be that way. He tells us to fight and stand fast in the liberty he's made available for us. Amen? Our liberty in Christ is not just one of our spirit, man, that when we experience eternal life, we're asking from the body and we're present with, with the Lord. Our liberty is something that every day of our lives we should be getting up joyous. Amen? at the freedom and the liberty that God's given us. And that doesn't mean we won't go through trials and tribulations. Oh, we most certainly will. Diseases in the body, death in our families. We're going to deal with that. But even in the midst of disease and death, you don't have to be tied up in chains and handcuffed. During the time I had cancer, I was joyous. 
I say, Lord, I thank you that you're going to get me through this surgery okay. I thank you. See, I wasn't walking around like, oh, I'm trapped. No, I was like, thank you, Lord. I was doing daily communion. I was doing the Lord's Supper every day. Took my little cracker, my, my grape juice, and I was like, and I was pronouncing healing over my body and stuff. And I was like, the surgeons are going to do great. Either you're going to supernaturally heal me while I go in for my final test today. It's gone. What happened? Or I'm going to go through that surgery. This is going to be a testimony. So I was in the midst of what could have been a death situation, but I was not a dead man. I was a man that was alive and vigorous and full of joy and peace and knowing that God was going to get me through that circumstance. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are still in the midst of death and they have a dead man's mentality. I'll just bide my time. Days are never going to change. I'm never going to get outside of these four walls of my captivity. This is my end. Amen? <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to be if you're liberated in Christ. I was looking at the book of Psalm 91, verses 1 through 12. It says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers. And under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall now evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. I like this, especially as it relates to that situation. It says, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Now, we know a lot of times some birds are referred to as fowl. Amen. Not F-O-U-L, but F-O-W-L. Amen. Fowl. And as we see here, he shall deliver us from the snare of the fowler. And some of us might be like, well, what's the snare of the fowler? What the heck does that mean? So I'm going to tell you what it means. <laughs> There's different ways in which people would trap fowl back in the day. Sometimes they would use a bow and arrow and just shoot it or a gun and shoot it. But a lot of times if you were a fowler, you were more, use a, a less aggressive approach to catching your prey. Like a lot of times they would put a net down on the ground and then they would camouflage it by covering it with leaves or dirt or something like that where you know, you wouldn't detect the neck underneath, and then they would put something there that would, would lure the bird in. And upon the bird landing there and, you know, actually eating, getting sustenance, snap. That net comes up around it, and now it's captured. And next thing you know, that bird that was content eating in the midst of the trap is now somebody's dinner. <laughs> 
Another method that we use sometimes is that it would be a little bit more obvious. It could be something like uh, some kind of contraption that has a, like a lever arm and it would be up on an angle. Actually we, actually, we did this as kids. Sometimes the squirrels and stuff like that. We would let them go. We didn't kill them. But, you know, just for fun. <laughs> we would just make this little contraption with a lever, put something on there in a box, and it would go in there, start eating, hit the lever, bam! Box drops down, trap squirrel. Now, they would do that with birds. I did it with squirrels. <laughs> I might have caught a duck or something here or there. But anyway, <laughs> sometimes the fowl would conceal the trap so that he couldn't even, the, the fowl couldn't even see it. Other times, the fowl would literally see the trap, but the presentation would be so alluring that it, you know, it would come in cautiously at first, but then it would get quite comfortable, once again eating, only for the trap that it saw the whole time closed in on it. That's the snare of the fowler. And unfortunately, that's what the enemy does with us sometimes. As we're journeying God, sometimes the devil acts like a fowler and we are to pray and he conceals stuff and we'll come in we don't see the trap but thank god that through the holy spirit and the word of god and the gift of discernment gift the word of knowledge gift the word of wisdom sometimes people praying for us and giving us a word in due season that we need to warn us in advance sometimes because of these things if we're obedient to god and we're opening to hearing either god directly speak to us God speaking in, in our inward man through the Holy Spirit, the word of God coming back to our mindset or people that we trust speaking into our lives, sometimes because of that, even though the enemy has set the trap and we can't see it, as we're about to walk in the trap, we get this check in our spirit. No, go the other way. Don't go in. Then there's other times where, just like the bird, we'll actually see the trap laid before us. But it's so presentable. Man, oh, I'll make 10, 20,000 more if I go into that job. Oh, he speaks so nice. He's such a wonderful man. Oh, yeah, I should be in a relationship with him. You know, and the enemy will try to mess stuff to make him seem, you know, appealing. But the word of God warns us, beware that the, angel, that the devil himself can make himself appear as an angel of light. You need to be careful. Pretty boy could be Satan himself. Well, maybe not Satan himself, but he could be satanic. <laughs> Pretty girl could be Jezebel in terms of her spirit. The opportunity that seems to offer so much money could be something that will stress you within an inch of a heart attack or a stroke. It might look the right way, smell, once again, smell, taste, and look the right way, but it could be a trap. And you see, it's that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Your conscience, the word of God, once again, people's wisdom speaking into our lives that when the trap is there awaiting to, to snap in on us, if we hear that still small voice and we say, you know, I know this looks good, but you know, I'm going to back off anyway. And see, everybody around you say, you're crazy. You're going to give up on that. You're going to walk away from that. You're crazy. But we know in our heart of hearts when the Holy Spirit, if we're obedient, is speaking to us and saying, don't buy the lie. Amen. It's like that song Public Enemy did, did years ago. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. <laughs> that hype will throw shackles on you. That's why God told the, the, the Israelites when he left Egypt, he said, don't go back to Egypt. And boy, Egypt tried. Oh, we got ships. We'll bring in horses and we'll bring in this and wheat. God's like, don't go back to Egypt. It'll present itself pretty. Nice clothes. 
jewelry, nice presentation. Oh, forget all that bondage years ago. Forget the fact you fled us and we were, and we were devastated after your departure. Forget all that. Can't we all be friends? The devil, he'll do the rod and the king. Can't we just all get along? And the whole time, the, the enemy is like, wait till I get them comfortable. And I'm going to knock them upside their head. Amen? Or I'm going to put them back in the prison walls. End result of Egypt. All the trappings of wor- wealth and pleasure of whatever type. At the end of the day, Egypt always wants to put you into bondage and slavery, oppression, and destruction. Don't believe the hype of how it presents itself. Jezebel was an attractive woman. <laughs> when Elijah came, when it, when it, um, I forget it. No, it wasn't Elijah. Um, when they sent the prophet in for her final doom, you know what Jezebel did when she found out the day of her death was about to come? She didn't run for her life. She braided her hair, did her, made up her face, and put on a nice dress. Now the prophet said, throw that woman down. Throw her down from that window. No, she ain't walking there. Just toss her out the window. I ain't falling for the trappings of her makeup. See, the devil will make himself or herself look good. You better watch that. <laughs> the word of God tells us um, about watching the, the flattering lips of a woman. And look at um, Samson when he was found. Had his head right there in Delilah's beautiful little lap. He laid his head in the lap of the murderers that was going to take him out. Amen? You better watch the presentation of what seems good, but it's actually a snare of the enemy that's meant to take your life. Amen? Don't believe the hype. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So things will present themselves as alluring. And here's the thing. If you knew it was your destruction, I'd hope we all be smart enough to say, I don't care how wonderful it looks, I'm turning the other way. Or if we could see, like, if I come in, there's a definite, clear entrance, we might be a little more cautious. But the enemy, like I said, he'll give you this wide avenue to come in, and then as soon as you get in there, the door closes up. Amen? You find yourself in a labyrinth, a maze. I thought that was an exit. <laughs> you got the exit door. Is, now it's a wall on the other side. Wait a minute. There, this should be a wide open. Oh, oh, okay. We go down here. You ever see a labyrinth, a maze, like for a mouse or something like that? Every path it takes, it looks like the way out. Okay, if I go to the right, that's the exit. Oh, shoot, another wall. Um, okay, I'll go to the left. There's an exit. Oh, shoot. Uh, next thing you know, that thing's just zigzagging all around this maze, and it can't find its way out. That's the same thing that the enemy tries to do with us with sin. He'll give us an open door to get in, but then he'll shift the walls. Change where the exit is. Close off all the exits so you can't see your way out. And see, somebody on the outside looking in can see the way of escape. If you're you're a person looking down a maze with a mouse in it, you can see like either, okay, can't you see that the exits are here? Or you can reach down and just pull the mouse out in safety. Amen? But the mouse himself, in the maze, he can't make any sense of anything. And that's what the enemy will do with us. He'll put us in the maze where you can't see any path out whatsoever. So it's, it's very important for us, whenever possible, to avoid even entering into the traps of the enemy. But getting back to that, 
Just as I mentioned that a person looking down upon a mouse in a maze, it was the same thing with me yesterday when I was looking down in the wood-burning stove over that bird. I cracked it a little bit, then I opened it up a little further, and like I said, he was sitting there just arresting and chilling, and I'm looking down on him, watching him, and here's the thing, he was totally unaware of my existence. You see, sometimes we're in the same situation. We're boxed in. We're trapped. There's no means of escape. We're sitting in a place that looks like a place of rest, and we'll literally die there. But thank God that even though we're aware, he could be looking down on us. You got to get out of there. Don't you realize that's a trap? Don't you realize this place is going to take your life if you don't move? And the great thing is sometimes God says, you know, I know they're never going to move. I'm going to have to move them. But the, the thing we need to know first is that God is always looking down upon us and watching us, even when we're totally unaware, first of all, that he's watching us, and then number two, that we're in a death trap. And we're just sitting there just as clueless and chilling, and God's like, you got to get up out of there. <laughs> Amen? Immediately. Don't wait. You need to get out now. And we're so unaware. Thank our, our loving God. Uh, one of the things we see about God and his love and fervency towards us. Second, Second Chronicles, the first half of chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Amen? Ain't that great to know? But the seed is a key part there. It says, For those whose heart is perfect toward him. God's eyes are scanned to and fro across the whole earth. He sees everything. But it's very important, if we want God to show himself strong on our behalf, we need to meet the requirement that our heart is perfect toward him. See, he looks and sees everybody. But when it's talking about that strong, you know, showing himself strong, if we're in a situation where our heart is impure, if we're enjoying our sin, if we're treasuring the temptations and the pleasures of what we're in, even though his eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, he's not going to show himself strong unless you're at the place where you're walking in righteousness and you have the, uh, a righteous attitude. So you may be actually hindering the same God that's looking down on you from showing himself strong on your behalf if you're still enjoying the pleasures of sin. He's not going to bring glory. He's not going to let his presence known, amen, in an unrepentant heart that's loving the trap that it got itself caught in. Amen. Then the next thing we see about the Lord regarding his eyes, it says um, in Psalm 34, 15 through 19, it says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and he delivered them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. So we see here once again the eyes of the Lord. First, they run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Don't usually think about eyes running. <laughs> that just means he's constantly scanning. 
you know, back in the day we used to have, well, I didn't actually have one myself. I knew people that had them, police scanners. And I did have this one um, radio um, that had scanning capabilities. Actually, a lot of our cars now had that too. Like you in an area where if you're not you, well, if you're using like Sirius XM, like basically satellite is anywhere. But let's say using a normal AM, FM radio, if you travel a certain range, you're going to get outside the radius of your local radio sta stations. You know, for instance, like I'm here in Philly, if I'm on FM, I don't really listen to stations, but it used to be Power 99 and 103.9 and different stations. But I get down towards past Baltimore, D.C., like those stations start to fade. Like, okay, I need to scan and find the ones that are in close proximity here. <laughs> so I had to scan and, and, and find something more local. But with God, he's scanning all the time, but he's also taking in everything at once. And here's the thing. His scanning is not only observing the positions of where everybody's located, but he's also scanning, detecting <coughs> the, the heart, the attitude, the mindset, the condition or state of the person's heart and their life in general. As we see here, it says that after he's done this scanning process, his eyes are especially upon the righteous. And then it goes a step further. It says, not only are my eyes upon you if you're righteous, but then he says, my ears are open unto your cry. <laughs> he's very attentive. And he hears our cries. And we may not even realize, like I said, that we're in a situation of danger, but God is scanning he's looking down upon us and when he sees we're in a situation where we need salvation even if we're not aware of it <coughs> he delivers us out of our troubles thank god another thing we see here as well is that if we're in a situation where we place ourselves in danger a place that seemed to be either a place of rest or a place of great opportunity and we come to the realization that this place is not what it appear to be and we cry out to him we see that God will deliver us out of all of our troubles now he might allow us to stay in there long enough to learn something from it amen to be disciplined but the great thing is that he is nigh unto each of us especially those of us who are either of a broken heart or if we're in a place where we've been rendered in a state of humility amen contriteness God looks out for us. Um, let's see, it's 12, 23. I think I'm going to stop there today. We'll con just continue on with this next week. But, like I said, the things to keep in mind is that we have to fight to stay in the place of liberty, that spiritual condition, that mental condition. You know, are there any things we've pr permitted to encumber us or weigh us down? Jesus Christ said that his yoke is easy and his, burden is, and his burden is light. Have we allowed something in our lives to weigh us down so that instead of us getting up every morning and saying, man, the mercies of God, the loving kindness of God is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's what it talks about in the book of Lamentations. Do we have that mindset regarding who God is and what our position is in life? Or are we waking up every day weighed down and dreading what's ahead of us on a given um, basis. If that's the case, 
then we need to ask ourselves, why have we permitted ourselves to go from a place of liberty? You know, remember that moment when you first got saved, how exciting and how joyous that is? Are we still in that place? Or are we in a place where, oh, another day of misery? What horrible thing awaits me today? You know, what is our outlook on a daily basis? Because we've got to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes believers... Our mindsets and the way we're dealing with things emotionally is no better than people out there in the world system. And that's the case, like, as we said as we say a number of times, why is salvation only, you know, fire insurance after you die? Why isn't salvation the fact that Jesus saves me every day of my life? He delivers me. He heals me. He provides for me. He nourishes me. He comforts me. He uplifts me. He empowers me. He motivates me. He guides me. He gives me clarity. He delivers me. These are the sort of things that we should be experiencing in God on a daily basis. And if we're finding that that is not the case, then either we need to study to show ourselves to prove to learn these things of God, or we've got to ask ourselves, how did I end up here? Amen? How did I end up in here, in this place, in this trap? that God did not ordain for me? How am I sitting here in this place of misery and discontent and sadness where God would not want me to be trapped or to die? God wants us to be liberated. So we'll, like I said, stop there today and we'll continue on next week. Uh, Let's all rise and pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the praise, honor, and glory for everything you're doing in our lives. And right now, Father, we thank you just for the ways in which you speak to our hearts. And Lord, um, little did I know a situation as, as simple as having a bird stuck in the wood burning stove would become a sermon. But you just speak to us in so many ways. I know, Father, a lot of times I could be out doing yard work and through nature itself you speak to me. So Lord, um, I even thank you that uh, you speak to us through your word. You speak to us by your spirit. You speak to us through interactions with people, various situations, nature, the heavens themselves. I just praise you, Father, for that. And Lord, let us all have open hearts and minds, Father, for all the different ways you speak into our lives. Let us have ears to hear, eyes to see, spirits to open up and, and receive Uh, the plans and the purposes that you have for us, Father. Right now, I also praise you, Lord, that if any of us have failed to walk in the victory that you ordained with us uh, or for us, and we have not, hallelujah, stood fast in the liberty that you gave us, or, Father, if we've accepted you as Lord and Savior, but from the time of our salvation, we've never really walked in freedom that you had ordained for us. We just, first of all, repent, Father, for being deceived by the enemy, even being deceived by ourselves and not walking in the fullness of that. And we ask you right now, Father, through your word and by your spirit, that you would show us, Father, how to get out of those places of entrapment. Father, whether they're relational, environmental, emotional, get us out of those traps, Father, and get us to the place of liberty in you. And we just give you the praise, the honor, and glory for this. Father, we also lift up those who we um, mentioned earlier, 
people that have sicknesses in their body, Lord. Uh, we curse cancer at its root. We praise and thank you, Father, to touch the kidneys. Hallelujah. Get the vital signs. Hallelujah. Um, every part of people's bodies, Father, back in working, uh, a proper working order, Lord. We thank and praise you, Father, that for those who have lost family members, uh, Latrice, um, uh, the young family, other ones, Lord, just give them peace. Um, uh, Kevin White, who lost his wife, we just praise you, Father, pour out your peace upon them, Father. I even praise you that they are saints of God who are crying out to you and um, are not complaining, but they're glorifying you even in the midst of their grief. We praise you, Father, for pouring out your peace and your divine love upon them in the time they're lost, Lord, uh, especially for Kevin and Sony who have um, other young children and grandchildren. We thank you, Father, for not only giving them comfort, Father, but also giving them the strength to speak life and peace into their hurting children and grandchildren. And we just give you the glory, the honor, and pray for, for, for these things. We praise you finally, Lord, for... Um, uh, Pam finishing out the rest of her trip home. We thank you, Father, for um, Kelly. I knew he had to pick up Latrice today. Thank you, Father, for us that in our coming and going, you give us safe, childly mercies, and bless us in all our endeavors. And we just give you the praise, the honor, and glory, Father, for these things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.